This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Hello, everyone. This is Tulio Sergusa with Dojo Live, and this is the Design Thinking Show. Today, my guest is Jason Fairchild, who's the co-founder and CEO at TD Scientific. Hi, Jason. Welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's good to have you. Today is Tuesday, May 24th, 2022. Um, we're talking today about the next massive growth channel for performance advertisers, Connected television. Uh, we're going to answer how marketers can leverage connected television to drive digital-like business outcomes. We know the evolution of the ad tech space in the last two decades, how performance-driven it has become. Can that be leveraged in connected television? So that's what we're going to learn today. And we're going to learn that through seven series of questions that will highlight how TV Scientific has applied design thinking principles to solve this problem and create an opportunity in the marketplace. But before we do that, let's get to know Jason a little bit. Jason, if you could be so kind to give us a little bit about yourself, introduce yourself, and once again, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Um, so Jason Fairchild, uh, and I'm the co-founder and CEO of TV Scientific. I've been in uh, digital advertising really with startups for most of my uh, career, starting all the way back uh, with a startup in LA called Earthlink Network, and this is back in '95 or '96, uh, and it was like the very beginning of the of the internet days, and and we were a big internet service provider, uh, and I remember that fondly because we I think we were 20 people out of a converted dentist office, which uh, which was really interesting. Uh, my office was the X-ray room um, in that dentist office, going back, um, starting you know starting that company and building it to what became a 2000 person company just a year and a half later. So that was lots of fun. And then I went on to a company called goto.com, which um, ultimately was uh, renamed Overture and acquired by Yahoo. And our claim to fame is that we invented the paid search business model, which today, you know, uh, fuels a massive economy uh, with 9 million businesses participating, generating hundreds of billions in revenue and trillions in, in, in economic activity. Um, and then from there, I went on to co-found OpenX, which pioneered the programmatic advertising space, uh, flash trading for advertising, and then more recently, obviously, started TV Scientific. So that's a little bit of a background. In terms of spare time, I like to play hockey. I hike every day with my dogs and, uh, and, uh, and enjoy you know, outdoors. Nice. Sounds like you've been in the early stages of pretty significant uh technology advancements uh so congratulations you're no you're no stranger to disruption so i'm looking forward to learning a lot today tell us about uh what gave birth to tv scientific what was like that haha moment we need to go do this yeah so i i was at openx um as a co-founder and chief revenue officer for 12 years and in the last couple of years we were looking to activate new ad formats which really came down to connected tv so I was exploring the category and I sat on the board of a TV data company as well. And a, and a couple of things struck me. Um, one is, uh, is that the, there was a, a, ra a massive shift of consumer behavior towards streaming services. And this is going back four years. Um, it's even more pronounced now. 
um, where huge swaths of people were cutting the cord and moving over to streaming TV. That's one. Two is that the connected TVs themselves um, are really computers. They're built on the internet and the internet is the delivery technology for, for streaming content. So in that regard, it's very similar to uh, online advertising or online uh, content. It's, it's built on IP, internet protocol. Uh, and therefore, in theory, a lot of the same measurement technologies should be applicable uh, in connected TV. That was a hypothesis. And then the last, the last thing was, as I got into the TV industry and coming from a digital advertising background or ad tech background, this was news to me that TV is a fairly large industry or linear TV uh, at around 70 or $72 billion a year. What's remarkable though, is that about 80% of that $72 billion is driven by 500 advertisers. So, which is kind of shocking if you think about it. Um, and my point of reference was look coming from paid search where there are 9 million advertisers participating in that economy. So the aha moment was really simple. Um, combining all those sort of observations about streaming and connected TV is, is what if we did for, for, you know, for streaming or for connected TV, what we did back in, in the day for paid search, uh, which really comes down to, to two things. One is democratize access. So make TV uh, advertising accessible through a self-serve platform, just like, just like Google or just like Facebook, and then make the measurement a very digital first uh, um, process. So uh, in our platform, for example, we, we really don't speak TV, we speak digital, meaning when an advertiser sets up a campaign, we talk to them in terms of outcomes like website, cost per website visitor, cost per sale, uh, cost per app install, whatever their, whatever their outcomes are, that's the language we talk, which is almost 100% modeled after what's been successful in online advertising. Amazing. And of course, it helps to have the adjustable marketplace growing. I mean, we've heard Netflix is uh, moving in the paid advertising space, and even HBO Max is moving in that direction. Yep. Now, give you the option to pay for the subscription or pay less and get advertisers. So you're in the right space. Let's see what we can learn today as we go into our seven questions. Uh, very curious to see what methodologies were used to develop TV scientific's go-to-market strategy. So we've got a little bit of history on the problem you saw, but then how did that kind of, the rubber met the road? How did you further define that? How did you, did you further understand how to solve the problem? What was the problem? We talked a little bit about democrat, democratizing it, but if you could share that with us, we'd love to learn how you guys went about that. Yeah, I think the, the, the first question we, we, you know, we struggled with, frankly, um, it was, you know, who's our target customer? Um, is it, are we going to go to the, to the traditional TV advertising market and try to retrain them on performance oriented TV? Um, cause we could, we could have gone that direction. Are we going to go to local advertisers, you know, that traditionally advertised on cable TV and get them to adopt this platform? Uh, maybe a car dealer might be an example of that. Um, or are we going to focus on a, a different category altogether? And so that was the first question we had to uh, really ask and answer for ourselves. And the answer is uh, was really clear, and I think it was it was it put the company in a very specific direction, which you know, thankfully, um, we 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 wouldn't change this. And that's we're going after digital first, performance oriented marketers 
So really larger uh, Google and Facebook advertisers, we, we talk about the top 20% or so, and we're going to help them move their spend from Google and Facebook to connected TV and spend in a very familiar way that, you know, through a very familiar interface and talk about outcomes in the same way that they think about them in, in digital. So that's who our target customer is. What we're not doing, which is, I think, equally important to answer, is what we're not going to try to retrain the, the 500 or 1,000 advertisers that have bought TV in a very specific way for the last, you know, since the 1950s. Um, so we're, over time, as they understand, th that class of advertiser understands what's possible, they may, they may find us, but that's not, who, that's not who we're going after out of the gate. So, uh, so, so just getting really clear about what we're not doing and what we are doing from a customer segmentation point of view was like the first step. So I'm curious how you guys define that. What I'm hearing, um, the large advertisers, they work with agencies. It's quite a process to get um, yeah. to them, right? You don't really get to them directly. You got to work through the agencies. And that's a, a, you know, kind of a country club model, right? So uh, access is not easy. Now, the smaller advertisers, and when I mean smaller, they still have pretty nice budget, but they're not these top uh, players, right? They have come to get used to the ability to have direct access to the content, to the end, uh, the, the eyeballs, if you will. And so a lot of the middle layers have been removed, which is uh, of, of value to them. And, and there's a lot more performance-driven uh, platforms and technology that they like. So when talking to some of these companies, did this resonate with them? What was like maybe one or two key things that came out of that discussion with them that validated this approach for you guys? So um, what, what you say is correct. There's a whole sort of industrial complex around TV advertising um, that uh, that revolves around the, a brand's relationship with their agency and the incentive structures around distribution of media dollars that that we just didn't want to uh, get get involved with at least not at this stage so our our approach is very much direct to advertiser direct to marketer um, and our pitch really is uh, is Search and social are coming under uh, performance pressure, either that or they've capped out. You can't really grow anymore. And because mm -hmm. of some data uh, changes around Apple, uh, social is actually contracted uh, 20 or 30 percent. So for these growth marketers, um, they're looking for the next growth channel. So our our pitch to them is very simple. It's, hey, connected TV or streaming services, it's it's massive now, about half of all. Uh, half of all consumption on, on streaming services ad supported, you can reach a hundred million households through this medium. And now for the first time, you can actually measure outcomes just like you can in digital through our platform. That's about the point where they're, they're nodding. They're saying, tell me more. Um, so then it becomes a question of, you know, how to, how to bring that to life from a product point of view, um, which is its own journey. Uh, but the, the, the concept resonates because they're already doing performance marketing at scale uh, and the, their performance marketing doing with social, for example, is actually coming under pressure. So these growth marketers, they exist to find growth channels and, and, um, and ROI positive ways to spend their money uh, at scale. So the, this is kind of a no brainer for most marketers to at least explore it. And then, it question, then, the, then it's a question of, can the product deliver against that promise? Brilliant. 
Well, innovation's always easy to resonate, right? When you have true innovation, it, it, it's easy, it's simple, it, it re resonates with people instantly. So let's talk about the next question. How does TV Scientific foster innovation? How do you guys go about doing that internally as a company? Yeah, so it, it really, it's sort of a cliche, but it, it really is about uh, the, the customer um, not only listening to what they need, um, which I think is fairly clear here, they want a scalable growth channel that they can measure and trust. Um, so uh, that comes down to uh, really a product discussion. And I think what, what we focus on um, is you know, we, we knew going in, we wanted this to look and feel like search and social buying consoles, ad buying consoles. Um, what, what we, and so we built that and we had a lot of customer feedback into the development process. But I think more importantly, once, once the product is live, you have to listen to customers' experience. Um, and you, you're absolutely going to skin your knee. You're going to fall down. You're going to screw up. Um, and the only way you know that is you can't be in the echo chamber. You've got to listen to customers. And the more painful the, the feedback, the better it is for you uh, and the product. So you know, and I'll just give you an anecdote. Um, because uh, you can't click on a TV, um, what's used in digital, uh, which is called the last click attribution model. So when you when you see an ad and you click on it, it's very easy to say this this website visitor or this purchase came from that click um, or that paid search click. Uh, you can't do that on TV because most consumers don't click on TVs. So consequently, you have to you have to be incredibly transparent with customers about all of the data you've been able to assemble that helps them connect the dots between an ad delivered on a connected TV device, whether it's a large screen TV or a, or a laptop or a tablet, uh, all the way through a purchase, whatever that purchase or outcome is. And that is a, uh, the only way to convince people in a way that they trust it is to be radically transparent. So we, we and you know when you're hitting it or not because they're gonna tell you whether they believe the data or not. Um, and, uh, and so you have to listen and we, you know, we talk about self-evident, uh, value of, uh, of TV for driving performance. And we keep, keep working towards that to, to the point where it's just, it's obvious, uh, and we're not quite there. It'll be a journey, you know, for the next probably 10 years to make it better and better and better. So when a marketer sees all the data, sees the ad delivered on a given TV show, and then an outcome, let's say a purchase online, it's got to be a no-brainer that the TV um, impacted that purchase or directly resulted in that purchase. And that is a product exercise that you know is ongoing. And the way you tune it is you listen to customers, you ask them, you get their feedback, and sometimes they'll vote with their words, uh, they'll tell you feedback, and sometimes they'll vote with their dollars. They'll say, this is awesome, let me double spend. Or, or double the spend, um, or this we don't we don't believe it. Um, the data is not compelling enough, and then they stop spending. But that feedback loop is is vital. All, all feedback loops are vital. Uh, and you know what I, the, it's a cliche kind of rule of thumb. But you know, with our product and sales team, if we're if we're talking, you know, anywhere near fifty percent of the time, we're losing is one of the rules. So you've just got to ask questions and, and really listen and really care what the customers have to say. And then we feed that into, you know, themes, basically you pattern recognize across a bunch of customers. 
um, and uh, and uh, that leads to product requirements and so forth. Love it, love it. I heard a lot of design thinking themes in that. You know, really listening, using empathy to understand and relate, and then question. You know, defining the problem. I mean, I clearly heard the need for transparency is a big problem, right? The lack of transparency is a big problem. So with uh, finding and driving innovation comes also processes to deliver that end user value. So how do you guys design processes in support of delivering end user value? As a company, how have you organized yourself in order to deliver on these values that you've identified? So the, the product development process is fed by, as I mentioned, pattern recognition across uh, across really the entire organization. So um, when we have a customer, we have, of course, the sales organization that uh, that went out to sell them. They're going to give us feedback on, is our, is our story resonating? Is our product uh, demonstration resonating? Is all of the front end. Um, then we have a customer success organization that works with those customers to manage the ongoing relationship. And we get feedback from those engagements. And by the way, one of the things we do is, is we record all of our calls with customers um, mm -hmm. and most of them are videos. So you can go back and look at the first sales call that took place with a given customer, the first client success call that took place either before or post launch, and then, uh, and then all the way down the road. So you can, you know, you can document the customer feedback along the way. And that feeds into uh, a product organization that says, hey, we, we keep hearing X, Y, or Z across customer engagements, whether it's on the pre-sales or post-sales side. Um, and that points to the need for uh, either there's a problem that we need to solve or uh, points for to a, a need for innovation or an area for improvement for us. That gets prioritized against uh, a product roadmap. And we, we spend a lot of time thinking about what's the most important product innovation to drive uh, customer success across the board. Customer success, success is probably the metric. And that submetrics would be revenue. Submetrics might be um, customer satisfaction. But really, we care about their success and uh, prioritize all of the data that inputs that we get around how do we make them more successful. Nice. Um, if you're using some kind of platform for that, I want to know about it after the show because that could make a really cool guest, uh, especially if they use some kind of contextual analytics where you can get insights from those calls. So I'd be curious to learn more about that. But let's continue on with our show and our segment. Um, how does the company put people's needs as the focal point of the product roadmap? And what I mean by that is often you have to balance between, uh, you know, where the market is taking you, where you think there's a big opportunity, and then translating what you heard from the end user, you know, the market or the advertisers who's really spelled out the problem that they're going to need to be solved. So it comes down to a question of adoption, right? You know, sometimes there's a gap between the solution and how it gets adopted. So how do you guys uh, put the people's needs, which is really talks to adoption uh, as a focal point to your roadmap? So these conversations uh, that we have with customers, they really distill down into kind of key area, key themes from customers around feedback. We need to see better data. So for example, I'll just give you a, a, an example where they want to understand a customer might say, 
yeah, we understand TV happened before the, the click happened on Google, but we don't understand the, the relationship well enough. So if we heard that, if we hear that three or four times, we now know we need to do, you know, we need to innovate in that area. And the innovation is really making the customer journey more transparent. So consequently, in this example, we develop reporting that shows an ad delivered on TV resulted in a, a Google paid click within a certain period of time uh, or a Facebook click or a direct type into the advertiser website. So we now show that in our reporting that uh, that says, you know, you got 100 clicks within, you know, a reasonable period of time after the, the TV ad was shown to a given household. Uh, and some 25 of them came from paid search, 25 of them came, you know, from a direct type in and, and whatever that breakdown might be. But it shows sort of radical transparency into how the, the consumer arrived at the website uh, after seeing the ad. Um, and that all came from a customer saying to us, hey, we don't understand this. How, how can we better understand the impact of TV? Because we see in our Google Analytics report, for example, clicks come in, but it's not really clear it came from, from TV. So we now have our reporting in our dashboard and we also export it into any source of truth a marketer can use or wants to use so they can see TV, Google click or TV, organic click uh, to the website, then purchase. And that all came from customers saying, I don't understand. I don't understand. My last click is showing Google when uh, within 15 minutes of seeing a TV ad, how do we connect those dots? And we just help them do that. Brilliant. Uh, you know, I've even been in the ad tech space in the earlier days. That was the promise, but the delivery of that promise sounds like it hasn't happened until now. So congratulations for that, because that's a big, big deal. All right, let's continue on and talk about maybe some of the lessons you've learned uh, in the process of aligning market needs while differentiating from competitors. And what this question really talks to is uh, sometimes you've got the right solution, solving the right problem, but you also have competitive pressures, right? Balancing that is a challenge in itself. How do you guys balance that? I don't know that we, um, I don't know that we proactively think about balancing it. I think what happens naturally is, um, again, from customer conversations, you'll hear, um, oh, well, we've tested TV on X, Y, or Z platform. Um, and what that means is we need to speak to it. How are we different? And they'll, they'll, they'll ask you, how are you different than Hulu, for example, or whomever? And so it's really important for us to be crystal clear uh, around our points of differentiation. Um, and because it, in a very natural and almost every customer conversation on the front end and during the sales process, they're going to demand an answer of that. So that's going to force you, again, listening to the customer to answer the question. So in, in our case, you know, we're really clear about what lane we're in. Uh, how we're different and, uh, and, you know, not just against the competitive set generally, but very specifically when we're asked about this competitor, how we're different. When we asked about this one, how are we different? So we, we have developed answers to that because we've had to. And then, of course, we push that out uh, both in all of our collateral material and our sales training as well. Love it. And there's a key lesson here for those watching. The more you listen to customers, that's going to be your true differentiator. It's not listening to what competitors are doing. It's listening to what customers need. That's the key thing. So I appreciate you sharing that with us. We have two more questions before we wrap up. 
Uh, any lessons the company has learned in the process of creating an innovation-driven culture? Clearly, you guys were born out of innovation, out of solving a major problem in the marketplace, out of creating an opportunity. So what are some of the lessons learned in that process of actually the rubber meeting the road, you know, translating that into something tangible in the marketplace, if you could share that with us? I think um, in, I, I've, I've shared you know, maybe some successes with you, um, but we've, you know, we've also... Uh, we've also had periods where we drink our own Kool-Aid maybe a little bit too much and we, we sell what we have um, in terms of, you know, whatever reporting or whatever it is. Um, and we've, you know, in some cases we've just missed signals. Um, you know, I think it, it, in a couple of cases um, customers are, and we can go back and listen and watch the, with mortified eyes, by the way, um, go back and watch, the, the slow motion plane crash where we just missed the signals with a customer. And, um, and we, you just have to, you have to pound it into your culture that really what we think of our platform doesn't matter. Um, what, what really matters is what the customer thinks of it and not, and you know, that it's always great to get positive feedback from customers, but when we miss, we have to stop and we have to understand exactly why. And, I use the plane crash analogy, but it's not too far off. It's like, okay, let's stop. Now we have forensic tools. We can actually look at the conversation that happened that led to a miss with a customer. Um, and okay, where did, you know, do the regression, where did we miss? And then we train around it. Okay. Um, we need to make sure X, Y, or we say X, Y, or Z, or when we hear something, we, that takes us down a completely different path in terms of how we engage with that customer. We bring in sales engineers if it's technical. We bring in data science if, if they don't believe in the data or they don't believe or don't understand the data. Or we slow down if a customer's not sophisticated enough to understand that a TV ad could lead to a Google search, for example. Then we have to walk them through the data to show how those, how from a data science point of view, how those things are underpinned in actual data science methodologies. Um, and sometimes we just have to slow down and, and, and assume that they don't know as much as we think they know. Uh, there's a whole bunch of reasons for planes crashing in, in, this, in this metaphor. Um, and we have to study those on an ongoing basis. Love it. Thank you for sharing that with us. Just want to take a quick moment for, to share for those who uh, might be thinking about practicing design thinking. One of the key principles, it starts with listening and research and then validating and then prototyping and testing. And during the testing phase, you're testing whether you had learned enough and listened enough. And you can't be afraid to go back and start the process over. When you don't, that's when the plane crashes. So thanks for sharing that with us. One final question. If you had to do it all over again, what would you do more of? Not what would you do different? What would you do more of? You know, I think um, I think we would uh, probably introduce um, data science principles earlier, and and basically the you know earlier in the sales process, basically ground the customers saying, hey, this this is performance television, but in order for you to be successful in this, in order for you to grow your business using using connected TV or performance television here's a few things that you have to get your head around. Um, and, and if you're not ready, you're probably not ready for CTV. So one is, you know, the entire digital advertising world revolves around this concept of last click. Um, 
it and by the way, you know, Google has basically deprecated that. They don't believe in it anymore in, uh, at all. Um, so you've got to basically say, hey, it, in order for you to be successful, you have to evolve past that thinking into what's you know a multi-touch attribution model. And there's lots of like I, like I mentioned, there's lots of data science around that. But some customers, either because of the level of education from an industry point of view or sophistication are just not ready for it. So I think what we would do is, um, A, educate the market you know, earlier and with, I would say, greater focus and then in general terms. And then from a specific customer engagement point of view, almost start every conversation with, this is very, very powerful. Uh, it can drive business. But in order for you to be successful, it's going to require a, a new type of thinking around last click because you can't click on a TV and therefore that old thinking doesn't and cannot apply to this new model. Right. Jason, it's been a pleasure to have you with us uh, this morning uh, or afternoon, wherever you're watching. Uh, it's been great. Learned a lot. Uh, once again, uh, a key theme that I keep hearing is the importance of listening to your customers, defining the problem from their point of view, and then being relentlessly focused on those needs to drive your product roadmap, the way you support those customers, and ultimately learning those lessons along the way and iterating often to meet the needs of those customers. Thanks for being with us again, Jason. Just stay with me as I go off the air in just a second. Uh, come back today at 12 o'clock Pacific. We have another Dojo Live show today at 12 o'clock. It's a double whammy today. I uh, look forward to talking with you guys then. Until then, have a great rest of your morning or day. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website dojo.nearsoft.com.